you know, normally what happens, you get inducted on Sunday afternoon and you go back to the Otisago Hotel. They give you the Hall of Fame rings and they have a dinner with just back then it would have been the league presidents and then the, the commissioner of baseball. So I actually got to go to that dinner before I got into the Hall of Fame. And Ted Williams grabbed a microphone and uh, Stan Musial, one of the great players of all time with, you know, 3,630 hits, 1,815 at home and 1,815 on the phone. I don't know how he ever figured that out or pulled that off. Um, he had been ill and, and Ted actually passed the microphone around and everybody said, how, you know, how nice it was to see Stan back and Yogi mentioned, you know, they, I mean, it wasn't a scripted thing, but I got to see a little bit what it was like before I even did the induction of what it's like to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, that, you know, obviously it's a select group of players, but they also, you know, because of the history and the fact that, you know, they played against each other, a lot of them, you know, were mortal enemies in a, in a sense, you know, if you played for the Yankees, you wanted to beat the Red Sox, et cetera, et cetera. So we got a little glimpse of it. So it made the, the, the induction speak even, even a little bit more difficult. That was Orioles legend Jim Palmer talking about when he realized how special it was going to be as a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Jim Palmer was a member of the 2023 class of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, so I thought it would be fun to go back to 2021 and listen to his interview with Sean Clancy. Of course, when Sean was running the legendary Irish pub Foley's in New York City, he created the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and now he has brought it to the Irish American Baseball Society. He will cover a number of topics with the Orioles' great, who is never at a loss for words. Take it away, Sean. Hi, I'm Sean Clancy. Welcome to Crack and the Bat, which is a, a little interview section that we do for the Irish American Baseball Society. The Irish American Baseball Society is a society of um, Irish people who love baseball and baseball people who love Ireland. And I am delighted to be joined today um, by Hall of Famer, uh, Jim Palmer. Jim, thank you for taking the time to uh, to do this with us. Well, you're welcome. My pleasure, actually. Uh, and I want to also thank uh, our good friend, Rick Vaughn, who set this up. Um, Rick's a good friend. I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that now I know that you threw a no hitter in 1969. You know that Rick threw a no hitter in college? No. Yes. Yes. He doesn't. Well, he never. He's very shy about stuff like that. But yeah, he actually has. I actually have the baseball, the last out from the game with George Mason. So, you know, there's something that that you you guys share. So, um, so much we want to talk about. But the funny thing was, um, last week our last interview was with um, Jack O'Connell, who is. Secretary of the Baseball uh, Writers, and he has a wonderful job of calling you to tell you've been inducted in the Hall of Fame. When you got inducted back in 1990, I believe. Yes. It was Jack Lang, and I believe there's a funny story there because I, I happened to mention it to Rick. I said, God, I must ask Jim if he remembers, uh, you know, the phone call. He says, Don't. <laughs> what? So, no. No, I had a friend who said, let's, you know, he, he owned a, a restaurant. He said, listen, I want to have people over because, you know, you're going to get in the Hall of Fame. And I had talked to Jack Lang and, and he said, listen, I, I can't tell you whether you got in the Hall of Fame or not. But he said, uh, where are you going to be between seven and eight o'clock? And I said, um, you know, I, I really don't know. So as it turned out, um, I'm sure the Orioles told him that I was going to be at Hershey's Orchard Inn was, was my friend's restaurant. So. 
um, we go over there and, you know, and Jack had said, listen, you know, you did win three Cy Youngs. You did win more games in the 70s than anybody else. So you kind of dominated your era. But I can't tell you you're getting into the Hall of Fame. So uh, it gets to be about quarter to nine. And my uh, my stepson, BJ, says, Jim, it's not looking very good <laughs> because they said they caught between seven and eight. Um, somebody had told Jack in the Hall of Fame that I was at a uh, crab place that was actually closed in the winter. So it took them an extra hour or so to, and finally the, you know, Jack called and I answered the phone and he said, I have bad news and I have good news. He said, the bad news, 33 writers didn't vote for you. The good news, 411 did. So, you know, because I told my friend, I said, what if I don't get in? He said, well, we'll do it next year. I said, well, this is going to get expensive. So, so as it turned out, you know, Joe Morgan and I got in in 1990 and I mean, terrific player, you know, what, won two MVPs. Um, it's funny when you do the induction, uh, Sean, uh, he spoke first, but, you know, he passed away last summer. And uh, But for the next, what, 20 years, 25 years, he said, thank God you spoke first. I said, Joe, you spoke first. <laughs> so, you know, you do get a little nervous. And because and the other thing that happened, you know, during the induction, um, you know, that 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 July was we had, we had a rain delay. In other words, they couldn't do it on Sunday. So we did it. We're going to do it again on Monday, but it was raining just as hard. And um uh, we did it in a little gymnasium. So, you know, it's, and then the night before I, I actually, you know, normally what happens, you get inducted on Sunday afternoon and you go back to the Otisaga hotel, they give you the hall of fame rings and they have a dinner with just back then it would have been the league presidents and then the, the commissioner of baseball. So I actually got to go to that dinner before I got into the hall of fame and Ted Williams grabbed a microphone and uh, Stan Musial, one of the great players of all time with, you know, 3,630 hits, 1,815 at home and 1,815 on the phone. I don't know how he ever figured that out or pulled that off. Um, he had been ill and, and Ted actually passed the microphone around and everybody said, how, you know, how nice it was to see Stan back and Yogi mention, you know, they, I mean, it wasn't a scripted thing, but I got to see a little bit what it was like before I even did the induction of what it's like to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, that, you know, obviously it's a select group of players, but they also, you know, because of the history and the fact that, you know, they played against each other, a lot of them, you know, were mortal enemies in a, in a sense, you know, if you played for the Yankees, you wanted to beat the Red Sox, et cetera, et cetera. So we got a little glimpse of it. So it made the, the, the induction speak even, even a little bit more difficult. I was, I was thinking about that. I was going to ask you about that because getting going in in 1990, so many of like who are now considered the immortals were still alive. Like you mentioned, you know, Musial and, and Ted Williams. And I mean, obviously, I think, you know, DiMaggio and those guys, I don't know if they were there, but they were alive. I mean, now, so you so grew up in Manhattan, moved to, to California. Did you grow, did you root for a particular team? Oh, I was a Yankee fan. So, yeah. so and, who was um, your idol? Well, whoever hit a home run on, on Saturday, uh, the game of the week, uh, which, you know, could have been Mickey Mantle or it could have been John Blanchard. Seemed like he had a home run every Saturday. He was a backup catcher and, you know, left-handed pull hitter in Yankee Stadium. You know, it's what, 296 down the line in the old stadium and, you know, 305, I think, or 301 down the left field line. But, I mean, it went to 461 or three in center field with flagpoles and, that's where the original Monument Park yes. was. I mean, I saw Pepitone hit a, a ball 462 feet. It was the triple. Yeah. And I saw Andy Etcherbaron, my rookie year in 1965, hit a ball up the gap. Roy White, who played the deepest left field in the history of left fields because it was 457 to the power alley, uh, Etch hit a ball up the gap and got it inside the park home run. 
Bill Stafford actually threw it. He threw the ball over my head the next pitch, but he didn't last long. So uh, I, I had come in in relief in that ball game. So yeah, Yankee Stadium. I mean, I went there. My dad took me there on the two. You know, if you ever saw City Slickers, remember when Billy Crystal talks about they're out in the you know the middle of New Mexico and yeah. he's with his buddy and Jack Palance is the trail boss and he says, "Tell me about your greatest day ever." And Billy talks about 1955 when his dad took him to Yankee Stadium. Uh, it was before color television. Well, I went in 1954. And it had rained. It was a Tuesday night, and the Yankees were playing the Indians, who broke my heart because they won the most games ever um, that year. I think they won 100 and maybe 11 games, something like that. I think that was eventually the Mariners won more, and maybe the Yankees one year. But um, so you know, he talked about going to Yankee Stadium. Well, I went on that Tuesday night, and it rained. And when you walk through the tunnel before color television, you really have no idea how green the grass is. You know, so. I kind of had a love affair, not only with the Yankee Stadium. I mean, I was 30 and 16 against the Yankees um, a lifetime. Uh, you know, I always wanted to be a Yankee. I mean, it's funny. When I ret- when I retired, John, uh, uh, George Steinbrenner actually sent me a letter congratulating me and, you know, for the rivalry and whatever. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I loved to go to Yankee Stadium as a kid. I, I, I went to the Polo Grounds, never made of its field because this was, you know, if you were born in 1945 or – and so we were, you know, eight or nine, you know, in the early fifties seemed like it was the Yankees and the, and the, uh, the Dodgers in every world series. They only won what the one year, I think in 1955, and, you know, the irony is um, Don Larson actually was on the Orioles when I got there in 1965 oh, and wow. he pitched a perfect game in 1956. Wow. And when I moved to California, as you mentioned, um, between geography and history, you know, that little transistor radio you put up on your ear and you'd see how the Yankees were doing. And uh, so yeah, I was a Yankee fan and, uh, you know, I always wanted to play for the Yankees, but I, and I was a year before the draft, so I could have signed with anybody. And my mom was in Las Vegas because we lived in, you know, Scottsdale, Phoenix area. And she went to Las Vegas and one of the Yankee scouts tapped her on the shoulder. She said, we're going to sign your son. And you know what? The, I guess I end up coming back from South Dakota where I went to a college league. I was the only high school player in that league. And, um, we had a car crash on the way back. The guy driving my car fell asleep. We rolled the car three times, demolished it. Uh, I cut my knee. He cut his arm. We jumped in. We had a couple of our teammates behind us jump in the car, and I ended up signing that night. The next year, the next day, 10, 10 teams called. Wow. So I'm sure one of them was the Yankees. But I ended up signing with the Orioles and turned out, you know, six World Series and all those playoffs turned out to be a pretty good uh, decision. So the uh, so the fifty thousand dollars that you got from the Orioneers helped to get forty forty thousand. That's forty thousand. Team like fifty. When you're saying everything you read on Wikipedia, well, actually, actually, that was something I was going to ask you about. So, grow up in Manhattan, you move to LA, you move to Scottsdale, and then you go to was it Pheasant? Um, Yeah, Aberdeen Pheasant. Yeah, what was what was what was South Dakota like? Well, I'd already played when when I. I played American Legion ball when I was a junior. So my senior year, I, you know, I go 10 and 0, I pitch five nail hitters. And I, I mean, I led the state in scoring in basketball, caught 65 passes. I was a pretty good all around athlete. So I had a lot of options. I could have gone to UCLA. ASU actually had a better basketball team in 1963 than the, the Bruins who would go on with John Wood and win all those national championships. So I love basketball. You know, I threw so hard. I mean, you know, I was a good hitter. I got astigmatism. So my, I couldn't wear glasses and pitch. So my hitting kind of went downhill because I thought I was going to be an outfielder. But um, so Bobby Winkles was the coach at ASU. And he said, you need to go to a college league up in South Dakota. 
with four of our players. Now you got to make the team. So I went up there at 17. I was the only high school player. Uh, Bobby Floyd uh, was a shortstop out of UCLA. He actually played shortstop and had a pitch by no hitter. He was on our team. Her Rettman, who had a long career, he was from Ball State. He played the outfield and caught. Uh, Carl Morton would win 18 games. You know, he's a right fielder, but he later on he pitched with the, the uh, um, you know, with the uh, Montreal Expos. And Jim Lombard, who four years later would win a Cy Young Award, was on our team from Stanford. But I was the only high school player, so I made the team. I, you know, I did pretty well. And, um, you know, so I knew what South Dakota was about. You know, people were fabulous. Uh, Winter was even a smaller town than Aberdeen. Aberdeen might, I think, what, Pierre was... Pierre might have been the, the capital, but it was a small town. I played for Cal Ripken Sr. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, you ask that question because we had a really good team. We won 14 straight games down in Thomasville, Georgia, where our spring training was, you know, about 45 miles from Tallahassee. And we beat Earl Weaver's double-A team all over the ballpark. So we won 14 in a row in spring training, 25 out of the first 29 games. But opening day, you know, we're out on the field. It's It can get pretty chilly, you right. know, in April and – and we didn't have a lot of clothes. I mean, you know, you had a thin sweatshirt. You might have had a little nylon jacket, and it's 38, 40 degrees. And uh, we're sitting on, you know, out in the outfield, and he said, Let, he pointed to the empty stands, and Cal said, listen, the only reason we're here is because of, of the people that are going to come see us play. He said, we're going to come to the ballpark every day and never let anybody outwork us. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to come to the ballpark every day and get a little bit better collectively because we all want to go to the next level. I was in high A, I guess they would call it now. You know, Northern League was the highest of the three uh, minor, actually four minor league teams, A-ball teams the Orioles had. So, and he said, um, you know, we're going to have fun, which means we're going to win. And the other thing is there are no such things as shortcuts. And think about that. I mean, this is your, you know, you're 18 years old. You're making $414 after you pay your taxes. You're living in a basement. When it rained, your shoes would float to the corner because it, it flooded. Um, you know, $3 a day meal money, you know, 10, 12, 14 hour bus rides, but you want to play in the big leagues. I mean, that's your dream. So you're willing to do anything. And, you know, Cal was, Cal was, it was, it was the greatest. He had been a young catcher, hurt his shoulder and he got into coaching and we know what his son did. I mean, Cal, you know, Cal's junior played 2,632 consecutive games. And they always said, uh, you know, there was Billy Ripken and Cal, Cal junior that played for the Orioles and played in the big leagues and, Every time Cal Senior would do a, 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 a you know, a, a coaching thing or, you know, a, what do you call them? Um, on the weekends, he would do a, you know, where he'd go out and show okay. people. Yeah, it's a clinic of sorts. Cal, Cal Junior, because he never saw his dad, would go with him. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, Cal understood how how you need to play the game. I'm talking about his, his son who ended up in the Hall of Fame with over 400 home runs and 3,000 hits. So, yeah, I couldn't think of having a better manager. And then, of course, he would come to the Orioles and be a third base coach and kind of be a, uh, you know, a confidant for, you know, the rest of my career. But Rick, Rick Vaughn has said that uh, when he was when he was with the Orioles, that, you know, PR guy, he would get there pretty much before the players would. And, you know, he would get there and Cal Sr. would be lathered in sweat because he had basically manicured the infields himself for that first Well, he did training. everything. You know, the Orioles came to see us in Aberdeen, and it was a big deal. I mean, you know, Major League Club come to high A, and it was rain in the forecast. So Cal Senior went to a, a retread tire place and got, you know, we didn't have a tarp. You know, if it rained, usually the game would be rained out. He, he got tarps 
from the hardware store. He got tires. So when it rained, you know, they put the tarps out on the infield so you could play, you know, I mean, so you would keep it dry and then he put the tires on it. And, uh, you know, when the rain stopped, the game started and, you know, we ended up playing. I mean, I got to see Milt Pappas and Steve Barber, the first 20 game winner for the Orioles pitch. And um, yeah, it was it was an amazing thing. But, you know, and then I would go to they said, do you, do you want to go to the major leagues? Because we may have to keep you on the roster, you know, in 1965. This was the year after I'd been in Aberdeen, South Dakota. I said, sure. He said, well, you need to go to instructional league. So who was my manager down in instructional league? Cal Ripken Sr. So he really had a lot to, you know, he he, he taught me, along with George Maverick, who was a terrific pitching coach, taught me to throw the ball low and away to, to right-handed batters. And if you can do that, you can throw the ball anywhere. you got to have the perfect windup to do it. You know, I was listening to a Zoom that from Jacob DeGrom and they, you know, the, all the writers are going, wow, you know, you threw four balls, you know, 99 to 102 miles per hour. And he said, I don't care about velocity. I care the fact that I threw the ball low and away. And um, baseball is going to get back to that. You know, we got all the analytics and whatever. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a good windup, you know, I, I, I met Max Scherzer uh, after he left Arizona, went to the Tigers and uh, talking to Verlander, who I met when I spoke at old, you know, uh, he went to Old Dominion. I, I'd been down there, so I met him when he was a junior in college, and he introduced me to him, and uh, he said, do you have any suggestions? I said, well, just be able to repeat your wind-up with your stuff. You'll never be, it will never be easy, but it'll be less difficult. And then, you know, last night I pitched a whale of a game, you know, gave up uh, the one home run. It kind of reminded me, I'm sitting there watching that game, and I'm thinking, you know, Vita Blue, as good as Vita was, he was, he won 209 games. The only game he won in the postseason was a game I lost one nothing. He pitched a two-hitter, I pitched a complete game, and Sal Bando hit a fourth inning home run, and that was the difference of the game. And uh, so, so all home runs can, you know, you never figure they're going to beat you. But last night, and the Dodgers hadn't lost a game in Dodger Stadium since like August 29th. For Sean Clancy, founder of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame, and Jim Palmer, member of the Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame's 2023 class, I'm Rick Becker. This has been episode 75 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners in the United States.